seated. Friends, could I invite you to have open that passage that we read? We're going to be very much in that passage, not jumping around too much. Matthew chapter 25, page 994 there in the Bibles in the pews. Let's pray. Forever you will be the Lamb upon the throne. I gladly bow the knee and worship you alone. Risen Jesus, we want to honor you and to worship you. And we know because you've taught us in your word that to to love you is to obey your commands. It's to do the things that you call us to do. Lord, help us now as we spend a few moments together in your word. Help us to, to hear your call. And Lord, give us hearts of love for you. Give us hearts that want to respond. Amen. Last week, David preached for you from Matthew chapter 24. And it was a passage where Jesus was talking about the time when he'd return again. Jesus stressed that nobody would know when that time is. So he says in chapter 24, verse 36, nobody knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, but only the Father. It it always makes me laugh when guys get big into predicting the date of Jesus' return. I'm sure you've seen a few predicted dates come and go in your lifetime. Who knows when Jesus is going to return? God only knows. Nobody else does. So we don't know when Jesus is going to return, but he encourages us, therefore, to to be ready. Always to be ready. Look at chapter 24, verse 42. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. So this quick recap of chapter 24 prepares us for what we're going to see here in the first half of chapter 25. In verses 1 to 13, Jesus tells another wedding story. He told a wedding story in chapter 22, and he focused in that one on the guests, the wedding guests. This one's not about the guests. It's about the bridesmaids. In the culture of Jesus' day, he, he explains what was happening at the weddings. Usually there was a large crowd of bridesmaids. And at some point in the, the days of the wedding ceremony and the wedding feasting, at some point the bridesmaids were supposed to be ready with the bride to go out into the night and receive the bridegroom as he arrived. In Jesus' story we find that, that some of the bridesmaids are ready, they're well prepared, and some simply aren't. Earlier in Matthew's gospel, in chapter 9, verse 15, Jesus talks about himself as the bridegroom. There's a moment there where somebody's giving Jesus' disciples stick because they don't fast like a lot of other religious people do. But Jesus gives this answer. He says, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he's with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken away and then they'll fast. 
Jesus is the bridegroom. So in this story, he's, he's telling us about himself, about his return, and he's continuing the theme that he's been developing throughout chapters 21 to 24. Jesus here is talking about that time when he's going to come back to this earth. And he wants his hearers to be ready for his return. Look at verse 13, chapter 25, verse 13. It's almost verbatim a lift from chapter 24, verse 42. Again, he says, therefore, keep watch because you don't know the day or the hour. That's all I want to say about that first parable because it simply reinforces and and adds uh, to the message that we've already been seeing. We don't know when Jesus is going to come again, but we do know that he wants us to be ready. And all of this begs a question for me. How do you be ready for Jesus coming again? How how do you do that? What, What kind of a life do you live to be ready for Jesus coming again? Do you read Revelation over and over again? Do you read the Left Behind series uh, over and over again? How how do you get ready for for Jesus coming? How, How do we live that kind of a life? Well, Jesus' next story, the one we're going to think about this morning, this parable of the talents, is Jesus' answer to that question. This is how you live to be ready for my return. The story is pretty straightforward, and I don't want to make it any more elaborate than than it is. A master gives money to three servants, uh, and then he returns at the end of the story to settle accounts with them. By now, we, we see the pattern in these stories. The master, again, who's going away, but who will return, is Jesus. The servants in the story are those who, who follow him, his people on earth, people like you and I. And the times are times like now, today. So Jesus has, has left this earth. He's given us opportunities to, to serve him and to invest in the kingdom. And one day he's going to return and settle accounts with us, his investment managers. So the bulk of the story actually tells about the outcome of of this investment opportunity. And we find that the servants in Jesus' stories, they respond in one of two ways. The first category Jesus describes in verse 21 and 23 as good and faithful servants. So the guy who got five talents, the guy who got two talents, they they both put the master's money to work. These guys, you'll have noticed, they both managed to get a 100% return on investments. It's one of those moments in the Bible where I wish there was like a, a website included or an email address because I look at some of the investments I've made and I think I should have gone to these guys. Um, they would have done better for me than I did for myself or, or others on my behalf. These are the kind of financial advisors, investors that we'd all love to have. Give them something, they make it work, uh, and it grows. Jesus uses here a financial metaphor to talk about the faithfulness that God wants from us. He's looking for people who'll who'll take what he's given them, take steps. They'll be creative. They'll be energetic. They'll they'll invest dynamically 
to see growth in the kingdom of God? Christian faithfulness, it turns out, isn't simply about holding orthodox views, saying, I believe the right stuff, therefore, tick, I'm faithful. It's not about being some defender of the faith. That's, that's not what Jesus talks about here. There's more, much more than that. Christian life is more exciting, praise God, than that. Much more exciting. Jesus, when he chooses to define faithfulness, defines it in terms not of, of belief, but of behavior. A willingness to take risks. Unfortunately, these two guys who did so well, Jesus doesn't leave it there in his story. There's a third servant, the one who receives one talent. What does he do? Well, he wraps his in a hanky, puts it in a biscuit tin, and buries it at the bottom of the garden. I was afraid, sums up his excuse. He was afraid that he might not succeed. He was afraid that he might fail. And he admits that he was afraid of the boss. A traveler in the southern United States once stopped in a small village. And he got into a conversation with a local farmer sitting with his feet up on the veranda of his home. How's your cotton coming on? The traveler asked. Ain't got none, said the farmer. Didn't you plant any? Nope. I was afraid of the cotton beetle. How's your corn then? Didn't plant none. Afraid there wasn't going to be no rain. What about your potatoes? Ain't got none. Afraid of the potato blight. Well, what did you plant then? Nothing. This year I figured I'd just play it safe. That was the third servant's policy. I'll just play it safe. He says he's afraid. Do you see the point Jesus is making in this story about these investment opportunities in the kingdom of God? Jesus expects his servants to take steps, to be enterprising, to use our energy and our creativity and, and to use those resources he's given us. Jesus expects us to take risks. And by the example of the lazy servant, Jesus warns us against laziness, against passivity, against playing it safe. I think what Jesus is doing in this story, he's encouraging us to have enough confidence in God that we believe he won't treat us badly if we make a mistake here and there. Over the last couple of years, this parable has played a big role in, in my mind. It's changed quite profoundly how I think about God. It's challenged an assumption that I'd always held about God. It was something that, that I'd never heard said explicitly. I'd never heard it articulated in a sermon or spoken from the front, but still it was there, an assumption that, that it just seemed to pick up along the way. And the assumption went something like this. God knows everything. 
so he doesn't like it when I make wrong choices. God's all-powerful, so he doesn't like it when I don't have the strength to succeed when I fail. God's perfect and pure, so he gets frustrated if I make mistakes. I suppose over the years I'd come to think of God like so many in our modern society. God's risk-averse. His is a safe world. And he wants us to be like him in this regard. God is conservative. He doesn't like his people to take risks. Folks, as I've been rereading this parable, this this deep-rooted assumption that I've had about who God is is changing, has changed. I've learned that God isn't who I thought he was. I've learned that what he wants from me isn't what I thought it was. It turns out that God isn't conservative after all. He's not honored by risk-averse, ultra-careful living. In fact, Jesus' parable seems to suggest that this kind of thing makes God angry. God wants his people to trust him, to be enterprising in his service. In one of the early editions of the Reach Out magazine, David Montgomery Monty, who worshipped and worked with us not so long ago here at Kirkpatrick, he, he tackled this issue this issue of the risk-averse church head-on. He spoke of many times in church and ministry life where he said we may be missing out on the fullness of God's blessing because we don't take the risks of faith that he asks of us. The result is a spirituality that is safe, mission that is well within the confines of one's comfort zone, and congregational life which is boring predictable, and so much less than God desires. My job for you as I preach God's Word is to take this and to think of where this fits into our life. And I've taken some time this week to think about Kirkpatrick Memorial in the light of of what we've just seen here. As I've done so, it's, it's been wonderful. I've been really encouraged. I can look back even just over the last 12 months to see a new willingness to, to do things, to take steps, to reach out, uh, to, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. I was thinking of a few examples. Our parish newsletter. Crazy idea to print up two and a half thousand copies of a newsletter and expect that members of the congregation would be willing to go door to door and to to pop these through doors or deliver them into hands. It's a kind of idea, if we'd thought about it too much, we wouldn't have done it. There'd have been, for the one reason we wanted to do it, there'd have been ten reasons for not doing it. But we did it, and, and you have been involved. 40 or 50 of you, I'm not sure of the exact number, have signed up to say, yes, I'm going to go out with that 
uh, to, to meet people in our parish and let them know that this church is open to them. We've opened our church buildings a lot more in, in lots of different ways. The church just physically is open a lot more, and there are a lot of reasons for that. We've had our, our soul space initiatives where we've had the church open for people to come in and to pray and to meet with God. We've had the, the, the movie showing that we did during the Easter week where people were invited to come and to see what the death and the resurrection of Jesus really was. We had the, the initiative on the evening of the World Cup final where we invited people in to watch the football with us, but to hear a message about Jesus Christ. Those are, those are big steps that we have taken. The culture of our church has been changing. Can I tell you of one exciting little thing? I have a book in my hands here called A Fresh Start. A while ago, I ordered in 100 copies of these. It's a book that tells people about new life in Jesus Christ. On our latest edition of our parish newsletter, we had a short paragraph that said anybody in the parish who wanted a copy of this book to read over the summer, they need simply contact us and we'll send it out to them. We have sent out copies of this book this summer. At a recent funeral that, that we were hosting here in the church, I offered a copy of, of this book to any member of that gathered congregation who had heard the message of Jesus Christ but wanted to think more about that, to take this home with them and read it. Around about a dozen people at that funeral service lifted a copy of this book and took it home with them. Folks, we're learning to take these, these steps these investing gospel steps that Jesus is talking about, I think, in this parable. We're going to do more. If you were here with us in June, you'll have seen the Church Community and Change uh, summary document that we printed. And it talked about lots of, of vision that God has given us for taking steps and reaching out into our community. It talks about how we, how we want to reach out to senior citizens and parents of young children talks about how we want to reach unchurched young people and the Oak Center in the Clarewood Estate. talks about how we believe that God's calling us to, to be involved in our local business and commercial community and to be peacemakers wherever there's fragmentation here in Ballyhackmore. Folks, when I think of those ideas and when I think of what we've just read here, in Matthew 25. I have a sense that, that we just need, need to find this courage to, to leave the fear of failure behind. If we try an idea and nobody comes, I, reading this parable, I get the sense that that's better than not having tried at all. If we do something and it appears not to have done anything that we can see, we've honored God by being obedient and serving him. Lord, we've, sorry, we've spent a few moments here just thinking about our corporate response to Jesus' teaching in this parable. And I want to spend the last couple of minutes just asking what our personal response to this parable might be. 
With this parable ringing in my ears, I couldn't help but wonder, when was the last time, Christoph, you took any sort of dynamic step in ministry? When you did anything beyond just the, the norms or, or what, what people have grown to expect of you? When was the last time you did anything that stretched you or cost you something? When did I last take some sort of a step that would help somebody find their home in the kingdom of God? Folks, we could start with small things. I know I, I need to rediscover this. I read a statistic somewhere, and I thought it was incredible in really good ways. It was a statistic that said, and I've forgotten the exact percentage, it was something like round about a third of people if you asked them to come to church with you, they would come. Around about a third of the British population, if they were offered the chance to come to church, they would come. Now, it's not 100%. We maybe need to be knocked back two or three times before a friend says yes. But it's not, it's not 0% either. There, there are people who could be part of what God is doing simply if I had the courage or we had the courage to invite them. We run, as you know, Christianity Explored courses here, and we'll probably run one sometime quite soon. Am I going to have the courage to invite somebody to come to that place where they can hear the good news about Jesus, where, where God might change their lives? Am I going to have the courage to do that, or am I just going to play it safe? Am I going to sit back and hold back? Folks, we could do the unheard of. We could talk to somebody directly about Jesus. I was sitting on a beach yesterday chatting to a Christian friend. And this particular woman has a real gift of talking to people naturally about Jesus. And as we were talking, we realized that by and large, we don't do that. You know, Christian people just not even having the courage to, to say the word, to, to speak the name, to explain the odd time what Jesus means to us. That's, that's me, folks, and, and maybe you also. I think what happens when we live like this, when we become so timid, and so unwilling to take risks, our lives become boring and very unsatisfying. I think what happens is that the truth that Monty described in the church can easily be personalized. So let me reread what he said, but for me personally. When we don't take the risks of faith that God is calling us to, the result is that our spirituality is safe, my mission is well within my comfort zone, and my life is boring, predictable, and so much less than God desires. Let me finish. Over the last couple of years, our kids have reached a, a different uh, stage. Patrick, who's seven, Sophie, who's five, Ruby, who's three, 
they all increasingly want to play their part in the family chores. Now, that sounds great. Until we try getting anything done. But whether it's Ruby clearing the table, or whether it's Sophie helping Claire make the tea, or whether it's Patrick pumping up the airbeds when we arrive on the campsite at the start of a camping holiday, they want to do their bit. And there's nothing nicer than seeing that, that look that they have when they've got it done. And they stand proud as punch, just loving it. And it's a lovely thing then as a parent to be able to say, that was brilliant. Well done. Folks, can I let you into a secret? I don't think that feeling ever goes away. We just learn to hide it. All of us still crave to hear somebody say once in a while, that was brilliant. Well done. And in Jesus' story, the the one person who takes those words on their lips, the one person who says that is the master. It's Jesus himself. And there's a way of living that you and I are called to, which means we, we, could, we could come to the end of our lives. We could meet with Jesus and we could have him pass this assessment on our lives. Christoph, that was brilliant. Well done. Folks, can you think of anything better? Can you think of anything more worth giving your life for than to hear Jesus Christ look over your life and say, brother, sister, that was brilliant. Well done. That's what I'd like. It's not going to happen if I sit on my hands and say, I need to play it safe. I've got to make sure I never get anything wrong, make sure I never lose face. I'm a Presbyterian minister after all. If I live like that, I'll miss the blessing that Jesus is talking about here. If I can learn to take these steps to continue to to go with the gospel, to to speak and to show the love of Jesus, then this, this is what waits for me. Brothers and sisters, let's, let's enter into this life. Let's do all that we can. The steps can be small. They don't need to be huge. But let's do them. The things that God calls us to, to show and share Jesus in this world. Let's pray. Father God, we all love to be affirmed. 
to be told that we're doing the right thing and doing it well. Lord, forgive us for the times when we have settled for for something less than hearing you say, well done, good and faithful servant. Lord, show us the substitutes that we have settled for in our lives. Show us those ways in which our lives are so much less than they could be under you. Lord, give us courage to begin to take risks and steps and to take initiatives to serve you. Lord, thank you for for your call in our lives. Thank you for this adventure that you call us to. Help us now to enter into it. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.